1: This is the 19th T Podcast. Just Kieran Marsh with you this week. Uh, Droodster is in the nervous 90s as we approach the wedding of the year. So he's taken the night off to finalize some preparations. Uh, he is He's very devastated though because it is one of our favorite chats each and every year. It is the annual check-in uh, that makes me feel really good about myself with the man who might have the best job in Australia uh, as it relates to to golf, I speak of course of our great mate Brenton Ford from Cobra at Puma Golf Australia Forty. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back. Uh, not a pleasure to continue to watch you travel all over the world, not least of which the United States of America uh, for your quite unquote job, my friend.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. Great to be back. How you doing?
1: Outstanding, uh, outstanding, mate. It's a very exciting time of year. We always love these chats in early February to get an idea of what's coming down the pipeline. Um, from a from a Cobra Puma perspective. And I know you, as we just say, uh, saying before hit the record button, you've had a couple of trips in the last few months around both, I suppose, clubs and apparel. So I probably want to start with the clubs because I know there was a, a trip to the West Coast at the back end of last year to look at the new Aerojet family of clubs launching here in Australia. Uh, well, the 17th, which will be tomorrow if you're listening to this live. Um, and by the time you listen to it, it may well be already uh, that you're seeing it on the shelves. But... Geez, they look good. I've seen a lot of content, not only from you, but our good mate, uh, Baz Hayden Barron, with a bit of the Aerojet stuff in his hands. So talk to us a little bit about, I suppose, first and foremost, the the new tech, and we can dive into maybe a bit about your trip when you took the, the time over there in the States last November to have a look.
0: Yeah, mate, really lucky. Like you said, probably one of the best jobs going around. I'm very, very privileged and very grateful to be in the position I am. But um, yeah, last year, we we have an annual sort of trip around the August time to where the, the global team hosts us. Uh, in the States, whether it's in California or somewhere else in the past, COVID got in the way for a few years, sadly. Um, but we headed over there um, and took the sales team with us to see all the new product for Aerojet. Um, we snuck away, you know, a week early and there was a few of us who went to Vegas and had a little golf trip at the same time, which was always nice. Um, so we tacked on a few days and played some golf there, which is brilliant. Uh, anyone who hasn't gone to Vegas to play golf, I can highly recommend it, uh, especially if you've got six or seven other blokes with you. Um, and then, yeah, luckily they, they hosted the, uh, the annual conference at Torrey Pines this year. So they're very, very privileged to stay on the course uh, and at the hotel there and then have a couple of days learning about all the new Aerojet product and technology. Um, we sort of get that sneak peek around four or five months early um, and then receive our samples and then the sales guys go out and get all their pre-orders. So it was really, really exciting. Got to hit the product and then play around at Torrey Pines. So that was fantastic.
1: Just amazing, mate. As I said, it's, uh, you're a hard follow on the old Instagram, not, not because I don't <laughs> like you, just because you do an awful lot of things that I'd love to do myself. Uh, I think we'll get into the specific changes, uh, enhancements, improvements, if you like, from a tech perspective around the Aerojet. But I'm always fascinated by essentially the the yearly release. And I I can only imagine the engineers and the guys at the coal face over in the factory in, in the States from the moment something drops, they're already working on something new, if not a few years in advance. So, did you get much insight, I suppose, into what they were looking to achieve in the area yet, and maybe what learnings they'd taken from a few previous releases that they were looking to implement, or is it always a, is is it a combination of learnings and simply trying to do something that no one else is doing from an innovation perspective?
0: Yeah, it's definitely like a long-term plan. I think back to like. Um, you can sort of see it now in most drivers but when we released the F9 back in 2019 um by far like the biggest like biggest advancement for us from drivers and that's where that year we really really solidified ourselves as one of the best drivers in the in the in the in the game um that sort of design that we had the very next year the sim was a similar design and now you know the rogue and that sort of stuff followed suit but realistically they were probably working on those designs for 3 years so it's just the timing that you know, the F9 came out and it's sort of we all the engineers were Were realizing that the more weight you get back and low in the head while keeping an aerodynamic shape gives you better results, right? Um, so yeah, it's definitely years and years in advance. And to give you an idea, like because I'm on the product team and I see sort of I'm planning product uh, around a year in advance, when we were there seeing Aerojet and the sales guys seeing it for the first time, we'd snuck away and saw the driver for 25, i uh, sorry, 24. So they're already, you know, almost like three quarters of the way through the R and D and development. They were just like, which color do you like? Which you know, name do you like? All that kind of stuff. And that sort of stuff is, yeah, it's definitely well in advance. And you know, even yeah, realistically, colors are decided eighteen months before the product hits shelves. So it's um, there's definitely sort of a, a plan definitely on on what where they're seeing the improvements and where they're seeing the market going. You can sort of tell by some of the guys we sponsor, like um, you know, Kyle Berkshire, who's a longest driver in golf, um, in long drive, like he we could see that, you know, speed and ball speed and and the faster you swing it, that's where golf was heading. So having a guy like that and Bryson on, on staff and using their skill set and their feedback to build Aerojet where we've there's the sort of process have gone through all the desire for aerojet the design was to really create an aerodynamic driver because the faces for the last you'd probably say six or seven years um have really started to well it's, it's been 10 years since they introduced the, the limits on the middle of the face but the edges and edges of the face is the part we've been improving recently to make them faster on your missits make them straighter on your missits so that guys like you and I who don't hit the middle all the time um <laughs> we can make sure we hit a few fairways and we're not you know fetching for it in Brenda's and barbecue in the backyard. So it's it's definitely like the face has got to the point where it's we've definitely hit the speed limit. So the difference of being able to get it further and faster is really how fast you can swing the club. So that's where Aerojet, sort of the story behind that or the, the idea behind that is to make it sleeker and smoother so that you going from another driver to this one, you should see speed difference in your swing. Therefore, that translates to ball speed and distance.
1: I know I'm always fascinated by, and you kind of touched on the R&D and the development, how far ahead they work. Um, How much of it is informed by, say, your top 0.05% in terms of your staff players, like a bit of Bryson, a Ricky, um, you know, a Kyle Berkshire, as you just mentioned, as opposed to the feedback that, you know, the company receives just from the everyday punter who picks up a Cobra driver off the rack because, you know, and I I see once again through the Aerojet you've gone with that three distinct models in the driver in terms of uh, the standard, the LS and the MAX, which we've seen probably over the last couple of iterations offering different things for different people. But you, you talked about the growth and popularity and no doubt one of the best, if not the best driver in the market. And there's a balance between, I think, affordability eh? and and being at a good price point but also having something that caters to differing levels and skills of players so i wonder when they're working on those things far ahead obviously they've got their own ideas they're trying to push the boundaries from an innovation perspective but no doubt taking on feedback from a variety of different standard of players
0: absolutely and like the even though we're we're not the biggest company in golf, I think right, like when I saw, when I was in head office recently there, um, there's over 50 people in the R&D team or the development team, whether they're working on driver or fairway or hines or wedges or putters, all those kinds of things throughout the product. They've all got different, through the range, they've got different products they work on. But it's a very large team. It's a very large team and Then of Puma Golf as well. And 90% of the staff play golf. So a lot of the guys who are working in the team are taking out prototypes and hitting it. And giving their own feedback and they're all levels of golfers men women um varieties and lefties even though we have to do lefties no. <laughs> um we yeah we're catering for a lot of a lot of different players within our team which is great but then we also have that feedback of um definitely around the tour player because that better player in in most when you think about it from a marketing or a, or a sales perspective like there is a there is a center of influence you know a circle of influence around players and around people whether that's your friends and you talk about a restaurant review or what you, what you watch on Netflix, it's the same with golf. And definitely that better player at your club tends to be a part of that circle of influence. So you've got to have a club that suits that better player that can then influence what the other players are seeing. And you see that on TV all the way down to the club golfer. So unlike unlike some of the reviews, which I've seen from, let's say, Rick Shields, his idea of having three sort of weights on the driver to create sort of one universal model that suits everyone – we would love to do that, honestly. Like skew count wise, and, and creating one product makes the world so much better for us. Um, but it's it's not it's, it's genuinely not possible from a engineering perspective. So having the three drivers, you really have to have that driver little suit someone who needs high launch, low spin, like myself, for example. I hit i i I like hitting the ball high, but if you do that with a lot of loft or a rear weighted driver, it will spin too much, so I lose distance. Then you need to have um, again more like when I started playing golf and hitting those big right misses, which we see a lot in golf, and the majority of newcomers will have a right miss. That's where you need a draw bias driver, and you can't have a low spinning long driver that doesn't go right. They're, they're like they're the complete opposite. So then we like to create, and what we've we've sort of had for, from LTDX into into Aeroged is that kind of unicorn driver in the middle that is fast, is forgiving is the most or the best of both worlds. Um, and that's where we have that standard model that's going to fit the majority of golfers, but the people who are the outliers who need very specific things, they're going to fit more in the max or more in the LS. So you can see it across the industry. A lot of brands have got multiple drivers because it's it's just physics doesn't allow you to have one driver mm. that suits everyone. Um, and if you want to gain market share, you've got to have you know cater for those outliers as well.
1: I'm always fascinated. You kind of touched on it there when you talked about the the standard being a bit of a unicorn, kind of uh, one size fits all almost. Um, you know, we put a few product disclaimers on that, and people should always test and get fitted properly, of course. But I'm always interested by whether or not, from your experience and what you hear when you go over for the conferences, are there certain specific things that the engineers and the r&d guys are, are looking at because i know you know we spoke a little bit before we came on about some of the features of aerojet and certainly it seems the face has been a big focus in terms of and you touched on that earlier about making it as aerodynamic as possible certainly the most aerodynamic face you've ever had um, in that respect but you know earlier you spoke about the transition to you know more weight at the back and lower part of the club in, in one of the earlier releases. So. Do they go in with a specific thing in mind or is it just about trying from an overall perspective to improve the club as much as possible?
0: Yeah, I definitely think we're at the stage where we're we're doing those 1% increases, right? And if we pick up, um, like a big story is is weight saving. So if you can put more carbon in certain areas or more, um, you can change the way you have weight in the head and it's not by more weight ports because they're actually heavier. Um, than, you know, positioning a standard, uh, like a, a, a non-interchangeable weight. So they definitely have, like, if you can weight save and move it into areas that make the most sense for forgiveness and ball speed, they're the two things we kind of always want to increase. So the, really the goal is to go in with LTD or at the time, you know, they're probably working on two years in advance. They've probably got um, rad speed. Looking at that driver and they go, okay, in two years, we need to be able to increase. We want to increase the forgiveness of this driver. How do we do that? How do we save weight in these areas? And where can we move that weight to make it more forgiving? And at the same time, not sacrifice any ball speed because generally those two can go hand in hand if you if you create the perfect combination. But if you put too much weight at the back, you lose ball speed. If you put too much weight at the front, you lose forgiveness. So it's really finding that, that real key balance. And then from a face perspective, that's huge for us. I mean, we, we've had, I think it's about six years now, we've had a milled face, CNC milled face. And this is the first driver in my time at the company when I started in 2018, re- we released F8, which was the first driver with a milled face. This is the first driver we've launched without one in my time. So the, the big change here is definitely what we call PowerShell face, which we've had for multiple years on our irons. And basically the face, um, the infinity face used to wrap around the top and bottom, and it was a really thin piece. And then we'd mill it and make it sort of perfect in terms of thickness and thinness to make sure it was the most forgiving we could make the face across so if you hit it in the toe you're still going to get ball speed hit it in the heel you're still going to get ball speed and not as much spin which is great but what we've created with PowerShell is actually the face wraps all the way under the sole um, of the driver and the idea here is that instead of having a weld around the front which would be a weak point so when you hit it low on a driver you normally get sort of a, a weak spinny kind of like it either comes out low and then spins really high kind of shot, and it doesn't go anywhere near as far. But what we've done is actually by wrapping the face around the bottom of the club is that the bottom, that really low strike is actually more of a trampoline effect. So you don't lose anywhere near as much distance and you don't you don't sort of spike that spin rate when you hit a low shot. So those thin drives that we, we generally hit when we're trying to go a little bit hard at it or a little bit quick, um, that is a huge improvement um, even though it's not milled this year, you can't mill around the corner like we did. On uh, so for this sort of PowerShell face that wraps around the sole, it's something we couldn't do with milling. So it's we saw more gains from having that low strike be a better performer with this PowerShell face um, versus what we were able to do with milling. So they're the two stories is probably what they're trying to do even going forward into the next few models is to make sure that we continue to increase ball speed across the face because again out of the middle. Everyone's maxed out and has been for years. It's really about those mishits, and without sacrificing forgiveness, if anything, improving forgiveness. That's really the story um, for the next that all companies are looking for. um, While adding speed, because yeah, like I said, the driver's smoother, and and you can swing it faster than you have before, which is
1: great. I know that I know you'd said to me that personally, you feel that PowerShell face is probably the best bit of tech. Certainly not only on this driver, but maybe that you've seen in your time with the company. Might be an ignorant question. You know, you said it's been in the irons for a number of years. Is it a difficult translation in tech that's been on irons taking it to obviously the bigger headed clubs?
0: Definitely from a like a material perspective as well, because you think you're you're working with sort of forged steel in an iron versus titanium and um and carbon in a in a driver. So weight saving, making sure that, you know where you're welding it you have um titanium but it's not too much titanium that makes it heavy in the wrong spots all those kinds of things is is definitely something to consider and it, it's taken a lot of time we've moved it into hybrids then we moved it into fairways um and mainly dri- driver and fairway this year is the first sort of time we've done it both so it's um there's definitely a game of waiting for the technology to or the engineering to catch up to the idea if that makes sense um and definitely a lot of um trial and error and research to make sure that we're getting the right materials and not sacrificing you know um in other areas because we can make this improvement but then the weight might be too high in the head which makes it not as forgiving so there's there's definitely sort of balances and like i said we're really making sure that 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 balance is is creating sort of that seesaw is is the perfect balance to make sure that we're not putting too much weight forward, not putting too much weight back, or it's high and low as well. So you've got to make sure you're not putting too much um, weight in the top, and that's why a lot of drivers, even Ping now, are starting to use that sort of carbon fiber crown, is because you want the weight lower. So we're definitely trying to make sure we we limit the amount of weight high in the head because that doesn't make for a good
1: driver. Now we're going to talk briefly, not sorry, not briefly, we're going to talk soon about the irons because I know we've got the new King uh, range, not just in the irons but the utilities and the hybrids that launched. Uh, a week or two back now and look fantastic but I feel we've been very driver focused and I'm just curious from your perspective uh, is that do you think now reflective of where the game's at in terms of distance has no doubt dominated the debate for at least the last two years in, in the game in terms of advancements and I wonder whether you know Cobra and other equipment and manufacturing companies really are pouring I wouldn't necessarily say all their time, but a lot of focus into the driver because it just reflects, particularly the fan. The fan's going and watching people belt the ball off the table. I've got, to, I've got to get that in my game. I've got to go and find myself something that's going to, you know, improve my distance. And it certainly seems to be the focus of the manufacturer as well at the moment in terms of really pouring everything they can into getting the driver right. Yeah,
0: I think like you probably say that from a marketing perspective, and I think the the trickle down effect you have from driver through the bag is is probably um, why you see that and why you see people talk more about driver and, and the marketing especially around driver. Um, it's the one thing that people probably replace the most in their bag, which is, you know, talking to a coach or a, or a caddy or, or a salesperson and probably you get three different opinions on how often you should change the <laughs> driver. But um, I think that it's the thing that people or the companies market the most. Um, I think the, the advancements you're seeing definitely from the R&D Invested is is woods for sure. Like the fairway woods recently are going miles. Like they are so long and there's actually very little restrictions on that they have on drivers. There's not that on three woods. So in terms of, um, yeah, the USGA and things like that and restrictions of the face, they're, they're not as um, strict on fairway woods. So definitely seeing a lot more five woods and seven woods in the bag as well because they're now flying – as far as what 3-woods and 5-woods used to be. So people are – what I would recommend is when you're getting fit, make sure that you're looking at not just the longest, but making sure your bag gapping makes the most sense. Because recently, yeah, I've, I've definitely fitted more people into driver 5-wood instead of driver 3-wood because the 3-woods are going as far. But if you don't have confidence in the driver or you can't find a driver that works, but there's a lot of players and a lot of courses, for example, me playing on the sand belt, there's a lot of courses you don't need driver and 3-woods for safety or 3-woods just – able to you know potentially manipulate a little bit more or play different flights with it but it still goes almost as far as your driver that's a, an advantage as well so there's definitely um that end is where you see most of the marketing and probably people changing the most um, irons you definitely don't replace your irons or most people don't replace their irons every year but from a player perspective I'd say that having you would hit driver let's say eight to ten times around depending on the course maybe 12 times in a round but you're hitting your irons like almost in and wedges into every green, right? Like whereas, so getting those right and making sure that the average golfer's an 18 marker, right? Like as in the majority of um, the players that play golf are in that sort of teen handicap. So irons aren't going to be like ball striking. It's not going to be their skill. So having a forgiving iron, which is what we have in Aerojet and we'll talk about the King stuff, which is more better player um, irons, but having that sort of Aerojet iron where, you can hit it anywhere on the face and it's still going to launch. You can hit it anywhere on the face and it's going to correct, not correct, but not turn as hard as a player's iron would. Um, And if you miss it, it's not going to drop 20 metres short of the green. It's going to carry to the front edge and roll up. So there is place for that in the game. And it's definitely not marketed as much, but I think that like having a set of irons fitted to you and having it suit your... I'm not even going to say handicap because there is that kind of like... If you're a 12, you need to be in this kind of driver. Or sorry, iron. Or if you're in, you're an 18, you need to be in this kind of iron. I think that it comes down to what your strength is. If you're if you're a little bit stronger off the tee, but not as good with your irons and not as good a ball striker, then get forgiving irons. Whereas if you're struggling off the tee, get a forgiving driver or a would wood, and then get irons that you can, if you're a ball striker, get irons that you can shape and that you can hit high and low and things like that. So, yeah, I think there's... Most companies now, and especially from from our side, we've got sort of a range of irons that fit from slow swing speed, forgiving, you know, that older golfer um, who needs a little bit of help getting in the air and a little bit of speed to a really forgiving, chunky sort of ball-like iron, iron that's going to get it in the air no matter how you hit it on the face and it's going to keep it as straight as possible through to that, like that better, getting better with your ball striking, getting better at your game. And you can sort of have the best of both worlds, kind of smaller shape, but still forgiving. And then into the new King stuff, which is yeah, more of your your bag jewelry that looks really beautiful and <laughs> reserved for the better ball strikers.
1: <laughs> we've kind of, I suppose, talked a little bit through the range there, but talk to us a little bit. Obviously, we've got the Aerojet irons now and the Kings we'll get onto in a moment. But what sort of new techs in the Aerojets? Because it, I, th- I think there's maybe a simplistic view that a forgiving iron simply means a, a cavity back or something with a little bit more thickness, but I'm sure there's more that goes into it than simply, you know, having a bit more uh, at the back of the club. So when you, when you talk about the new range of Aerojet-ons, what have they worked on to ensure that they are a little bit more friendly for the, that kind of average ball marker?
0: It's actually a really cool, really cool story. We've got this power bridge system that we use through now. It's actually through the whole Aerojet line. But in the driver, it's basically a, um, a, a suspended bar that goes from it's sort of it's joined at um the toe and the heel, but it hovers above the sole of the club where that face wraps around. So the idea is that we've got this weight that sits suspended above the sole of the club, toe to heel, and that gives puts weight forward and, and low, but it still allows that face to flex. It's not attached to the face and it's not attached to the sole, which is really, really cool technology and a, a great advancement in engineering for the driver. They've actually got that weight through fairway through hybrid and in the irons it's the same it's actually a, a really solid uh, metal bar that's it's it's um, joined at the back so therefore it doesn't touch the face and it doesn't touch the sole and the idea there is that when you're hitting an iron that weight is obviously giving mass mass into the into the ball which gives you speed and launch but the face and the sole can flex so that gives us Low strikes, like I was saying on the driver, low strikes. It gives you flex, gives you more trampoline, and keeps that ball really high. So you're not going to take out the t marker in front of you if you're thin <laughs> an iron. Um, so the idea is that, um, yeah, basically we're going to have this this really cool power bridge weighting system that sits in the iron. It doesn't. It's not attached to the face and not attached to the sole. That um, allows the ball um, to launch higher and and spin. You know, reasonable spin for the launch that it's going to have. Um, so you can get stop on the green because it's coming in at a, a steeper angle. Um, that helps with forgiveness and launch, which is obviously anywhere you're striking on the face. And then as I was saying before with Driver, it's a really cool story because PowerShell is across everything as well. And that face is, is we use, there's been a pretty popular topic lately with AI and stuff around with chat GP, GPT and all that on the internet. But AI, we use um, smart like supercomputers to design the face to make sure that we've had millions and millions of, there goes my lot millions and millions of iterations. Um, to, to make the face as forgiving as possible, give you the most speed on your miss hits and things like that. So, the combination of the face and that really cool technology, that weighting system in the cavity, um, yeah, allows us to produce an iron that launches high anywhere you hit it on the face. It's going to go in the general direction you want it to. Um, and then the biggest thing comes down to you getting it fitted with the right shaft and the right length and that kind of stuff.
1: Let's talk. King Forge Tour irons. I know oh, yeah. uh, something that's in your bag personally and uh, almost a little bit of immediate feedback from a uh, pro's perspective with uh, them being in the the bag of Justin Rose on the wind and pebble. So, you know, seemingly a, a great run so far for the club, uh, not just at the Spring Valley Golf Club for you, but, at uh, you know, on, on the world stage as well. When you're looking at a new range of iron, um, you know, for the very best players, it's, it's clearly not about maximizing, you know, your area of forgiveness. Is it more about providing you with options and the ability to do all those things that you said before about, you know, adjust your flight, shape around corners, really just making the clubs as versatile as possible? Is that kind of where that tech is going in order to ensure that there is a bit of a point of difference that that, that level of iron is offering?
0: yeah you, i definitely think that people have talked about it that way and it's definitely been sort of the the blades and your cbs and things like that your better player lines are about you know maneuverability and, and all that kind of stuff i i personally and from the from the market research we do with the clubs and, the, and they show us when they're sort of giving their backstory and why they designed it this way and stuff it purely 90 plus percent of the buying decisions come down to look sound and feel because realistically you can't put a heap of tech in a blade you can't do it anywhere near as much tech in a cb um and our tour irons which are the ones in my bag um uh definitely sort of they do as much tech as they can by cutting out a little cavity and putting in some um some TP in there to make tpu in there to make it sound and feel nice but it purely comes down to does this look nice does this have the right amount of offset what does the eight iron and the wedge look like which is what a lot of players well, better players ask because they want that transition to wedges to be a really nice-looking transition. Um, Yeah, like I said, how much offset, um, borderline onset on some of the blades. Um, And then realistically, it's doing what we can with shape and weight to still make them forgiving, still make them look beautiful, still make them sound incredibly soft and feel great through your hands um, while offering the most... Sort of forgiveness that we can um, and there's definitely tunability that we do in terms of getting the right loft to match the cg so where we place the weight in the tours the previous model to the tour was the mim irons um, which is what i had in my bag as well and the difference between those two from the mim to the tour is a couple of degrees in loft because they realized that where they place the cg in the mim they manipulated that slightly in the tour to give you slightly better launch characteristics but doing that meant they increased the spin at that loft So they just took a couple of degrees of loft off the seven iron, still flies in the exact same window, still gets the right amount of spin. They've added forgiveness, but the idea is that it's, it's really hitting that window and still feeling and sounding and looking really, really good.
1: We're going to transition in a moment to the fit. And I don't mean club fit. I mean, specifically the Puma fit, because I know there's some, some exciting new things there, but just a couple more pieces um, on, on the clubs and, First and foremost, the aesthetic. There's been a bit of a change in colour. And this is always one of the things I find most interesting um, because, you know, you can have the the very best engineers in the world pouring, you know, hours and hours and hours of time into groundbreaking innovative technology and colour can decide and make a massive difference in people's choice. So um, talk us a little bit about the change in kind of colour scheme uh, uh, around the Aerojets and, and maybe just about the process that, the guys in hq go through to land on right this is definitely what we feel is right for this new model
0: yeah absolutely and and as much as it's a, a heated discussion on message boards and instagram comments and, and everywhere else it's it's just as heated in in the design room and in the feedback room as well so when we're presented a driver say Aerojet and we've we're shown seven different color iterations and we're we sort of have these meetings um as a global team and as a regional team so whether that's we're sitting on a call with the US and Asia and Europe and the UK, South Africa and, and ourselves, um, and we have a chat about um, the colours and we submit sort of silent votes and wait till everyone, you know, gives all their feedback and it pops up and says, oh, number two is the favourite kind of colour um, thing and then everyone gives their feedback on number two. So, yeah, it's definitely um, – that's kind of how the process goes. It was really interesting to actually have a chat with a guy um, who comes up with those colours uh, at the meeting in August Um and just have a have a beer with him and have a chat about what he does. And and the really cool thing is like it's even looking down to the tiny things like, are uh, the weights going to be a metallic finish or a matte finish? And and obviously one of the more sort of obvious things that most people look at straight away of a driver is the crown matte or gloss or satin or um a blend. Does the carbon sort of go the whole way? Does the carbon get painted over and blend halfway? So there's there's so many different tiny little options that when you actually look at a driver and go, why is that line blue instead of white? Why is that letter red instead of yellow? Like it's really, really um, minute details. And and then once the sort of color's decided, they also talk to the marketing team at the same time to make sure that they're developing campaigns that look great and things that will print really nice on Windows and on billboards and things like that as well. So it really is a, a sort of a whole team discussion and a global discussion when it comes to deciding a color because um, even things like what does that color represent in another country? So. You know, big bright red and blue drivers. Like as much as that's the Aussie flag, it's very we see it as Americano, and same as in the UK, right? So we're got to be careful on how American the driver looks versus having it more commercial. So it's it's a it's a fun discussion. They're really fun meetings to be in, um, and it's really great to see it um, from literally just a, a CAD or a graphic image to actually coming to to see a full sample in real life and what what the gloss actually looks like versus. Matt in a in a PowerPoint versus in real life. So it's it's a really cool process. But this this colour scheme has definitely sort of stepped away from what we're what we've been known for the last few years. Definitely sort of that citrusy yellow and orange and, and the Ricky orange that we've had for for a long time. So um I think it looks really clean, very commercial. The blue pops. Um and when we were there, it was really cool to have it at Tory Pines because just nearby is the is the top gun sort of the base where they mm-hmm. film um yes. film that movie and there's jets flying all over the time and there was uh, over the over the golf course and and here are them fly by so it was a really cool story around how they introduced the name and how they introduced the the um the shape of the weights and the color they are it's like representing the the jet so it's, it's a really cool um process to be a part of and and i think the design came out beautiful
1: just lastly before we go to the threads um Bit of a question without notice, so it, it might not be an easy one to answer. But you've had a lot of trips over there now, so you and and you get to sit on these meetings. And I think you know it's clear that you live and breathe, you know, the the front face of the changing technology. I wonder how you describe the culture at Cobra because we often talk, and we're very proud to be partnered with a a, a brand that continuously punches above its weight. You know, I think that would be fair to say in terms of, you know, there are big players in the manufacturing space. But if you look, I suppose, at a macro level over the last maybe 10 years, I don't think there's any doubt about which has made the biggest gains. And so that's to me speaks to you can get great people and the right people in the right roles to push that and drive that. But it's a, I feel it's got to be broader than that. And it's got to be a culture that's, you know, innate in the place that fosters that sort of, you know, pursuit of the very best.
0: Absolutely, and I think like the it's a really great question because I think that what that's one of the things that I noticed when I started working for the brand instantly was even the Australian team where we're a smaller team where we sort of um, adopt that Aussie battler kind of mentality and we we put on a heap of different hats and get the job done. Um, but I think from a global perspective, the the Aussies fit in really well because it's we get amongst the team and we're all positive and everyone's very optimistic and and we kind of one of the mantras and it was printed on the, on the walls at work. And it's just, um, we make cool shit that works. That's kind of one of the mantras that was like near the engineering team. And as you walk into the front is we make cool shit that works. And it's just about having fun, making cool product, pushing the boundaries, no idea is a bad idea. And, and the, the best thing is like, when we were there just recently for a conference, just having a quick bite to eat while we're we're sitting on the around the board table looking at all this product, but the GMs there, like the head of golfs there, the head of engineering's there, like the head of marketing's there, it's like, and you wouldn't know it, like you don't. They could just be one of the sales guys or one of the engineers or or an entry level person. It's they don't act like um they are where they are. You know what I mean. So it's a very approachable mentality. It's a very um team mentality one in forever one in all in kind of thing um and that's what and and realistically when we a lot of people say it but it's like we're not you know we're not doing rocket science we're not operating on people's brains it's like it's golf have some fun play golf enjoy your job enjoy why you're here and, and and make some cool shit that's pretty much the mentality and, and that's why it's such a great company to work for and, and i'm privileged to be able to and, and it, it stretches into the PM side as well like again, working in the Puma side of the business. I, I do golf and football in Australia. And yeah, it's the, the GM sits a couple of desks away. It's, it's, as, it's as approachable as if he's working in customer service. So it's it's a really sort of flat hierarchy, really great way of um, the door's always open. We're always here to have fun and don't take it too serious.
1: Love that. Absolutely love that. Mate, let's talk uh, a bit of clothing. So you just mentioned uh, the Puma side of the business. Uh, there was yet another trip back to the states just recently. Uh, very puma specific around what's coming down the pipeline uh, from an apparel perspective. Obviously, we love to see the new range each and every year. We got a little bit of a peek at it. The waste management last weekend. We'll see a bit more Leonard Palmer later this month. But where are we going from a from a clothing perspective, both top and bottom and headwear for that matter?
0: Yeah, there's some really cool stuff coming. I think that we're we're always trying to set the trend and be in front of it. Like we definitely feel like. Um, Puma has been renowned for that for a long time. Is is being loud and colorful, and then transitioning into as he gets older, and as the, our staff get a little bit more mature, you know, maturing our collection, but always having a, a Puma twist on things, and whether that's hidden details or little pops of color and things like that. It's I love the creative direction we're going with. Um, the branding around sort of, or well, the 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 tagline to the branding for the next few years is comfortably bold, um, which is which is our little mantra that, you know you you've got to be bold to be successful, but we want to make sure you're comfortable when you're doing it. Um, and the cool thing that or one of the products we've just launched now is our our dealer um, pants and shorts, um, which is the update to our bottoms. And then the the footwear as well is on fire. Like we, when I was over there, I saw some of the footwear coming out for, for 2024 and, and the, the sort of what's launching now. We were super, super excited when we saw it last year. So um, the newest shoe is called the Elevate, the Ignite Elevate. Um, and that's taking over um, and launches in a couple of weeks. Um, and that's our sort of hot, like our everyday spikeless shoe, waterproof, super super comfy, that um, gives you enough traction and enough waterproofness to play anywhere in Australia. Um, and that's that's probably by far one of the, the things that I would say if you're in the golf shop, um, ask for the Puma shoe and try on the try on the Elevate because um, I think that's one of the most comfortable shoes in golf. You know, we're walking eight to ten Ks around depending on how much left and right you're doing. Um, <laughs> but definitely making sure that um you're you're walking off the golf course and not wanting to get your golf shoes off before you go in the clubhouse. Um that's about having a shoe you can you can wear from there out to a barbecue and you're not gonna be worried about having sore feet. So um definitely that's where um, one of the products that I recommend. But yeah, I think the Arnold Palmer range is coming as well. It looks really, really good. Um you boys are always a big fan of that. Um and I think Love the colours we do. The quality we do with AP is is definitely one to add to the list of the wardrobe for sure.
1: Just on the shoe forty, I, I often think it's the most overlooked part of the game. I think we go we get so caught up in our clubs, which is you know part and parcel of the uh, you know very often Golf used in you very <laughs> central, yeah very central. Part of the game, and then you know, maybe we give some secondary thought to how we're looking, so we might, you know, have a certain aesthetic we're going for. But as you point out, like, um, you know, the purest among us who walk, uh, it, it is a critical element. Um, I wonder, is it as basic as trying to make it as comfortable as possible? Because I know, like, I'm in, I, I suppose, the original Ignites, which is the last model, and the ones that I currently walk around in, and they are comfortably the, 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 the best shoe that i've ever worn on the course for me it's a great aesthetic it's a good look but it's all about the fit so like when you're when you're changing shoe technology you spoke about uh i think like things in the nature of you know traction and 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 spikeless but is it really as simple as we're just trying to make this as comfortable as humanly possible
0: yeah i think like for us we have, again, it's kind of like the, the the clubs really in the irons. You've got to have something that sort of suits every player. So it's we've got stuff that's really taking from the Puma side of the business and it's like almost a running shoe with a little bit of traction. So it's super comfortable. Um, sorry if you can hear my puppy in the background. Um, yeah, super <laughs> comfortable shoe. Um, not super supportive because it's just more about comfort and you're not swinging out of your boots. You know, it's something you just want to, you might play every now and then, but it's a shoe that you can wear to the park with a dog or like we're just saying. Yeah. Um, then when you get up into yeah, this Elevate shoe, it's about providing um, structure and support in your foot as you're swinging because definitely, you know, as we look with Kyle and Bryson and every, all these other guys swinging out of their boots, like the, the, the golf game is going to high swing speed. You've got to have something that protects your foot, gives you stability with enough flexibility to rotate through your feet um, and articulate through your feet, but at the same time not not slipping, not being too rigid so that you can really hurt an ankle. It's it's really probably the main thing we like to focus on is first is comfort. Second is is structure and support and making sure that um, when you're swinging and, and through the golf swing, they are designed to have specific points on the shoe that give you um, support and then other, other points that give you flexibility. So they're probably the two things. It's definitely um, comfort support and and part of that support is also traction and making sure that um you know you're wearing a spikeless shoe and spikeless shoes have come a long way in the last 10 years um that we really pushing forward you're going to see less and less spike more molded spikes um and instead of the screw in type stuff um and and yeah your spikeless shoes are they're they're almost almost over 60 percent of the market now compared to spike so there's a lot of golfers wearing spikeless shoes um and then you just have degrees of spikes. So as you transition into Alpha Cat, which is probably one of my favourite shoes, is an Alpha Cat leather, which is by far one of the classiest, best looking shoes that we've ever made. Um, Full leather upper, and then it's got aggressive spikes. And this is what Ricky was wearing last year. Um, and this has you know more of um, more of a harder plastic spike on the outside. Still looks like a spikeless, le- like um, comfortable shoe, but it's just a sharp attraction. Um, and that's something that um, I've found swinging it, you know. If you're swinging at 110 plus, you're still not worried about being in, the, in a spike the shoe, which is in the past wasn't quite um, possible. So, yeah, definitely comfort, support, and traction, um, and then the style is obviously very, very important nowadays. So we see the trend going more towards that, um, you know, your athleisure type wear. So it's making sure that the the shoe looks stylish, it looks modern, it looks sporty, um, and then we have some traditional shoes that that suit that sort of traditional golfer, um, and spike shoes that suit the
1: guys that prefer to have spikes couple of miscellaneous ones to uh, to round us out at 40. Oh, we always like All the fun to, stuff. Yeah, we, we always like to finish off a little bit of shoot the shit. We know that. It's uh, it's always the funnest part of the chat. Do you think, I mean, you are not just in, in the game professionally, you, you're a massive nuff like we are. I know that. You're very, <laughs> very switched on to um, the comings and goings. Do you get the sense that there's more to come in terms of it'll get worse before it gets better? Only only in the sense that, you know, there seems to be a lot of people on both sides digging their heels in um, and whether it's Greg Norman kind of at the front of the live, uh, I suppose, team or, you know, Jay Monahan, um fronting but really probably being just a, a, a puppet to the players on the PGA Tour side. Everyone's too proud at the moment to come back to the <laughs> middle and you've got the emergence of the TGL now, and that's just signing up players left, right and centre who are loyal to the tour. And I don't know. For me, it seems as though... I don't think it's as dire as maybe what we thought six months ago, but I certainly don't feel as though we're closer uh, to to a reconciliation. And and it does feel as though there's still a few more steps to come before there is that kind of path back toward each other.
0: Yeah, I think, like, first of all, I think it comes from leadership. And both Mm -hmm. those leaders are... It's not people who are going to go and have a coffee together, that's for sure. Um, but I think that that's that's probably the first thing that that will eventually have to come together is the leaders of both organizations are going to have to want the same thing because if they don't, then they're never going to actually get anywhere. Um, but I think the the live product has to develop. Like, realistically, they've played a couple of hit and giggles and they're not on TV and they don't, they didn't have you know, the teams weren't even drafted, they were kind of like, oh, you know. You know Bryson, who do you want? You can grab them. Oh, let's <laughs> host the draft, and then oh, we won't do the draft next week. Like it was really sort of fly by the seat of their pants, which I mean, I, I give them credit. The product was a lot better than a lot of people expected. Um, that was just slapped together, but I think that yeah, the product has to mature. They've got a TV contract now, which which will be interesting, doesn't really affect us, but um, in Australia, but I think that yeah, it's the, the product has to mature. I think that the players. The early guys are going to cop the the most brunt of it. Like somehow mm. DJ's got away with it pretty well. Um, he always does. <laughs> Just flies under the radar and takes his money. Deflon, Deflon um, DJ. Yes, absolutely, mate. <laughs> um, but Phil's happy to get on Twitter and, and take a lot of heat. So, yeah, I think the um, I think the the players and the money are starting to. There's more players inquiring now, and the money is starting to get a little lower. So it's definitely more of a, a choice. Um, apparently they've got a few more players to announce in the next few weeks, but. Um, I'm excited to see what the product looks like because I think that's where, if it, I mean, we're both sports nuffies as well. I mean, when it came to, you know, T20 launching, that was mm. kind of really controversial, right? Like all these players were bailing on some tours or they weren't, you know, ready to go to others and the money was just insane. And they're like, how's old mate getting this much money? Like that's where it looks. But look where it's gone and look what T20's become. There's a, you know, a T20 Australia, there's T20 and, in the West Indies, like there's tournaments everywhere. There's one in Abu Dhabi like or Dubai. It's like these places, these, these tournaments have to mature. And I think Live has to have a compelling product to then have some leverage with the tour to go back and say, hey, like what, what I think they could be is it would be cool to see them become what the WGC should have been. Like having WGC's world golf championships, high money, high stakes, limited fields, and then like seven of nine of them were in the US. Like it's a world <laughs> golf tour. Like have one in Australia, have one in Asia, have one where the money is. But at the same time, you're giving, you know, those limited fields more of a world audience. Um, Japan for sure. Like there's there's so many hungry golfers over there. So I think like the, the, the product has to become desirable. It has to get the eyeballs um, and the money story will dry off. Like it's not just going to be like, the headlines are going to get boring once everyone's getting, you know, $50 million contracts. It doesn't really sort of blow mm. anyone's boat. It's not new. So I think the product has to, has to speak for itself. And then that has to build enough of an audience for them to have some leverage to go back to the PJ tour or European tour, wherever they're going to go. I think ideally if, if the PJ tour and European tour didn't actually sign that deal to be, you know, partners in some way, I think it probably would have ended up being live and European joining because that would be kind of like an elevated version of what they already have. So um, it's really interesting in the golf space. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if there's any more names sign up this year and how much less flack, you know, less they cop. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. Like, are you going to go are You going to LA?
1: Oh, I'm going to try, certainly. Like, I think it's, it's hard not to. Like, I don't necessarily love the Live product, but as an Australian golf fan, I'm not at all surprised that it's captured the imagination of, such a large percentage of our population who love the game purely through neglect, you know, we've just been almost forgotten about at the ass end of the world for the, you know, the yeah. better part of a decade, um, save for a president's cup um, at Royal Melbourne. So I I, I just find it fascinating because there is a path forward, right? Whether it is the WGC type model that you flagged, whether it's now that we've seen, you know, the reduction in the season, from a PGA tour perspective and leaving the fall open, is there an option there to run, you know, a eight to 10 um, week season almost around the world that is live? Like there's so many paths forward, but it's, the maybe the most frustrating thing is that they can't get out of their own way. And yeah. I, I think that's like, I, I remember, and I'm sure you probably agree. I remember a couple of months ago when the PGA tour made all the, the announcements about, you know, the elevated events and the change in structure of the season moving forward, and, you know, the increase in prize money, particularly for certain events. And I remember saying to Drews, it's, it's like that sort of stuff doesn't just happen overnight. Like they've clearly had the ability to do it for a period of time. And what frustrates me more than anything else is that they have, you know, those at the wheel have fallen asleep. They've let it get to a point now where it's, depreciated and devolved where they've been forced to do this rather than proactively doing it a couple of years ago and getting on the front foot and it's like all of this seemingly is preventable and I think maybe as a a fan as a purist whilst I can appreciate what Liv is doing and it's necessary in so many different things and monopoly is never a good thing and change is great and, and you know pushing the dial but you don't love what it's doing to the game in terms of driving that divide down the middle, particularly just in, just between individuals who seemingly used to get along, A- and it seemingly was all preventable to an extent.
0: Absolutely, and like uh, the thing that flagged to me when you said that is kind of like like what Uber did to taxis, right? Like yeah. that's just what flagged for some reason. It's just like they were just coasting; they weren't getting on, you know, they weren't developing, they weren't creating apps, they weren't making they didn't have the desire to make the customer experience better or easier or anything. They were just like, hey, we've got this and it's a monopoly and it's a really restricted market and there's heaps of barriers to entry, we're sweet, we're going to coast. Like, And it feels like the PGA Tour did the same, right? And then mm. someone's just gone, oh, wait on, we've smacked you in the face. This is what, we have money and market loads we're going to yeah. buy your players and <laughs> yeah. really make it different. So it's, I like I said, I, I agree with you in that it really, for me, I want. I now that I don't get to see DJ versus Rory. Like you're seeing Cam Smith versus Rory. Like you don't get to see Cam Smith playing at Pebble or at Riv at Riv or at you know the Arnold Palmer or these kind of events. Like it's 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 sad that we don't get to see the best players playing against each other, which is kind of what you want, right? Like imagine if you know in the cricket you're not getting like now that. England's top four players are going to the T twenty, they're not coming here and playing the Ashes. Like that just sucks. So like <laughs> I'm I'm I don't like that side of things. Um I think that yeah, the, the PJ tour really did they they just didn't quite um they didn't quite keep those changes happening. And you and you gotta like to a point the players sat there as well. I don't know mm. if the players were screaming for, you know, new things, but I think like obviously they were done with a off oh, they wanted an off season forever and the full series kind of Um, hurt that and that's what hurt the Australian industry as well which sucked Um, but I think like yeah it's amazing how they made those changes so fast like it's and they're positive changes it just sucks that it took live to for them to to make them right.
1: Well that's right like you know when you you kind of sit back and look at it it's pretty cooked that it literally took you know 20 players flying into Delaware to get in a room and listen to Tiger and Rory speak and go oh yeah, no, nah, okay, we should probably do something about this and then head over to Jay's office and say, Jay, this is what you're going to do now. And Jay just kind of said, Oh, well, yep, no worries. Like, if what, you guys want it, you can have it. How did
0: that come yeah, well, from what, the what, other way? is ridiculous.
1: What have we been doing like yeah. this this whole time? It's not, we're not talking a 10 year period, but I think there's probably been rumblings around the side that things needed to change, not least of which, as you said, the length of the season for four or five years now. And it's just we've had this uh you know nefarious actor in Saudi Arabia come in and, and say well if you're not going to do anything about it we're literally digging money out of the ground over here so we'll, we'll just create something of our own and and all of a sudden it's like people woke up and like oh shit we've you know we're out over our skis here and we've lost control so look as i said i and, and and as you know you've very validly pointed out there is a path forward you just hope that the right people Get into positions of influence and and can manage that change because we've got two proud people at the forefront of this who just seemingly don't like each other, um, which is pretty crazy that the entire future of the game, at least in the immediate future, is in the hands of a petty disagreement. Uh, yeah, it's two guys that don't like each other. It's uh, no, yeah, it's good to it's see not, the it's players.
0: It's good to see some of the players dialing back on their aggression as well. I think like you have mm. seen players go, all right, like it was you know a little bit of a like you versus us kind of thing at the start and these lawsuits are flying around and that kind of stuff happened. But then a few of the Live guys were dialing back off the lawsuits and like, hey, this is not how not golf's about. Like and they they sort of got um a little bit of realization of the divide that it had created. And I think like the the message from within the playing group on all tours is more like I want to compete against the best. This isn't Mm -hmm. how it's supposed to be. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And you can't have your $300 million contract and come and play all my tournaments as well. But at the same time, I think like they realize that we need to figure out a way to bring it all together because the divide doesn't make sense. And especially when you think about like, I'm I'm listening to a lot of podcasts around golf and stuff as well. And the big story is like, the barrier to entry in both now, like, I mean, it's, it's a very limited field with Liv, but trying to get onto the PJ, PJ Tour is brutal. And if there's these phenoms coming out, like imagine a, a LeBron James kind of thing coming out of high school into the college system and Liv's just like, yep, hundred million bucks to you. And Thanks PJ Tour is like, nah, you got to go through corn ferry. You got to not make any money for eight months. You got to at least win three times or you're going to do the whole season. Like that kind of stuff, that system is just not, like going to make sense for these young guys coming out that are absolute jets that are trying to get onto the pga tour and they the only guys you're going to keep in that system are the guys that like froth like a max homer who's just like Mm. i want to win riv because that's what means the most to me i want to follow in jordan's footsteps or tiger's footsteps or rory's Mm. footsteps and win those events that he won but guys that are doing it to like Support their family and create a future yeah. for themselves. Like, I remember at least hearing... make
1: their decision somewhat difficult. Don't exactly don't hand right. feed them to live golf. Right? So. Exactly
0: right. I remember Cam Smith yeah. talking when he won the players. It's like you've just won the biggest purse in the history of golf. What are you going to spend your money on? He's was like, mate. Like I just like fishing. I might just get a bit of fishing gear. Like he didn't care. <laughs> but when you throw him a hundred million, he's like, well, this is generational wealth for my family. Like that's right. That's a different conversation. So. Yeah, I I think they have to get it sorted before the next batch of young talent comes through because you'd hate to see that disappear to a tour that's 12 events long and on Mm. the CW network.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, goodness me. Another one of their fantastic announcements. They would have been better (laughs) off staying on YouTube, to be honest, mate. Well, YouTube's, yeah.
0: Well, how many people watch TV these days?
1: Unbelievable. Mate, uh, exciting times, interesting times for golf, certainly exciting times from a Cobra Puma perspective. Uh, Thank you for your time as always no as i so said I get it oh how's your golf how is your golf? uh look 40 uh, there's a direct correlation between the quality of my golf and now having two young children cool. um, i think it would be fair to say i know that uh you know those things are still ahead of you and what i would say to you, as I think I said to you before, as I say to all people who are yet to um bring the joy of children into their lives, play as much golf as you humanly can, um, because it's uh, yeah, it does tend to uh t- dry up a little uh, on the other side of children. So, to be fair, I, I did play around recently, um, and it's the best I've played in a while. And you might not like this, and and this might give you a visceral reaction, but I actually didn't keep score and honestly I, I think it was probably the best round i've played in maybe 12 to 18 months i played this three it. but there was three of us playing um yep. and it was it was clear by the end of 18 who had been the best of the three um but there was nothing written down and it was uh yeah increasingly i find my golf is less about a number and more about um Probably just enjoying the four four and a half hours of walking out in nature, which is very clear. Probably the start of my answer. So, uh, absolutely, it's, no. it's there and thereabouts. Um, I'm hoping i um, probably right in in the hurt locker at the moment. Where the kids are too young. Uh, if I get them a little bit older, I get a bit of time back, and I think that's where the the uh, the golf will will come back in terms of volume. But we're just right in the the pain point where. Getting out for four or five hours of a weekend is a pretty tough sell. To tough, be... <laughs> it's a really tough sell. But what I do enjoy um, is the fact that, irrespective of the gap in time uh, between uh, the the current and the last round, I can pull those Cobra clubs out of the bag. But they never fail me. I'm 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 always hitting them relatively pure, which is a miracle because um, sometimes it is a fairly significant gap <laughs> between the last round, so. Uh, I appreciate you asking, letting me relive that small amount of internal pain. Uh, again, not at all, mate. Because I think well like the energy. question
0: should be, the question might have been, what are you getting out of golf? Because I think like you just said, walking, taking four hours of peace and quiet, and for me, it's it's my happy place. It's where I refill my cup and recharge. Mm-hmm. And I think not having a scorecard in your pocket can help from a mental side of things as well. So, yeah, no, that's 100%. good to hear that you're getting you're getting a nice nature walk, mate, and just swinging a club every now and then as well.
1: Thank you, mate. That's uh, that's very kind of you. It is. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It uh, every time I get the chance to do it, I often think I'd love to do it a hell of a lot more because it's. Yeah, I think it's very good for the uh the space between the ears. Uh, ironically, absolutely. even though sometimes it's incredibly frustrating, it is. Um, but it's yeah, where you can uh, where you
0: can throw a club instead of hitting the wall and away
1: right. you go, happy. Days. It's meditative <laughs> almost. Yeah, it's absolutely. Uh, yes.
0: like, I couldn't agree yeah. more.
1: It's something very special. So uh, I, I won't ask you how yours is going because I always see um, countless highlights on the old Instagram story from Spring Valley and you're smoking them at the moment. So uh, Thanks, you're mate, clearly playing a... pretty well. What, what, what actually, my no, I will ask one question. What are we down to from a handicap perspective?
0: We're sitting in the fours at the moment. I yes. haven't, I've only submitted five cards since November because I'm doing a bit of pennant practice at the moment. So we're in, pennant season starts in four weeks or three weeks. So just... Uh, having a rest this week from overusing the elbow. So I've got to be careful I don't injure myself. But yeah, just a bit of practice and and some uh some match play for the next few months, mate. So the handicap's gonna I stay where it that. is. Um but hopefully after some match play and plenty of practice and grinding, I'll come back and be able to spend the rest of the year um focus on that handicap, getting it down.
1: We're looking at a few uh Four and threes or sixes and fives in, in match play, you think? You, you, Hopefully, game. I'm on one end. I feel <laughs> I'm on the good end of that one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's okay. good, man. Exactly. I, I I like to live my golf life vicariously through people like you. It always brings me joy to see people out there um, hitting the ball very purely as you do. So uh, good luck for the upcoming pennant season. Uh, Thank you again for your time. I'll, I'll run back quickly over those dates. So we've got, um, if you're listening to this As it's come out, you're listening on the 16th of February. Tomorrow is the launch of the Aerojet Range, the 17th, across the country. So drop into your local store, jump online, wherever you source your clubs. Obviously, you want to go and get fitted first, as we always say. Um, But keep an eye out for Aerojet from tomorrow. Uh, The King Range has been on the shelf uh, for a week or two now, so make sure you're taking a look at those. Uh, Keep an eye out for the Ignite Elevate shoe coming in a couple of weeks' time. 40, you said, if I've got my timings right. Uh, and, of course, um, the Arnold Palmer range, our favourite in terms of threads. Uh, you'll see that at the back end of uh, this month as well. So plenty coming down the pipeline from a Cobra Puma perspective, mate. Um, as I said, one of our favourite chats of the year. We always love it and we absolutely love having you guys as part of our family and, and, and are thoroughly grateful for the ongoing support. So thank you, as always, for your time uh, and, and look forward to your pennant season progress uh, and getting a few of these new clubs in the bag so I can when I get to use them experience the joy of uh, of the new jet range good on you mate
0: sounds awesome mate thanks for having me on and uh, all the best thank you